Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast live from Waypoint Studios in Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm Danny, your host. Just kidding, we're not that serious <laughs> here at Waypoint Church. Uh, but this is our Waypoint What's the Point podcast where we talk about all things going on in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. And we are glad you have joined us today. I am joined by some special guests and a regular Erica Castiglione, Director of Women's Care. I'm Megan Klinglawyer, Director of Children's Ministry. And Pastor Lawrence Hugh. Well, we have an exciting and kind of sad podcast today. We are going to be looking at one of the main song of lament in the Psalms. But before we jump in, we have an icebreaker question that kind of lines up with that. And it's basically, when was a time that a song or a movie moved you to tears. It could be in childhood or it could be recently. So um, uh, I got, I'm going to go with a song. Uh, there's a cl- well, first of all, there's the classics for me. There's Homeward Bound. That was always emotional. For song-wise, uh, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. From Boys to Men, that always gets me, brings me to tears. But I would say for me, Les Mis, when I saw it at the theater, uh, last song, that powerful moment, um, to me, that always makes me uh, tear up. Um, I have so many, I don't even know <laughs> what to choose. Um, probably every like third or fourth episode of This Is Us. Um, also, I'd say Les Mis every time. Seen it a bunch, but every time. And uh, Hamilton from pretty much when, I don't want to give too much away. The, I'd say the last quarter of Hamilton. So always makes me cry as well. Yeah, yeah so I have a funny story. When I was in first grade, uh we had at our school like in the library they would show movies and i guess they were really excited to get the wizard of oz which is probably not the best movie to show to first graders in sections and we didn't because we couldn't watch the whole movie straight through and i was like what the heck is this these witches kidnapped this kid and she's not going to get to go home and i'm crying and my teacher pulls me over and she pulls me aside and she pulls me out of the library she's like danny what's going on and I was like, this movie is terrible. These people have t- taken this one girl from her home. She's not going to get back. And I'm just, I'm just devastated by this movie. But uh, that started a long line of, of being sad in movies. But yeah, I, I, think, I think realistic movies make me sad. I, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a, a lot, I watch a lot of the sports movies. But I remember just even, just this popped in my head, McFarlane, USA. And just thinking about those kids who have to like, be on the farm at five in the morning doing you know manual labor then they go to high school all day then they gotta you know go back or that do their homework so it just I don't know it made me sad to think that that's that's how a lot of people live I mean it's cool to see how through the adversity they grew but uh yeah I think that movie just teared teared me up maybe we saw what about a year or two ago so those are two examples for me I am not much of a movie crier, but as a kid, The Fox and the Hound got me every single time. Um, But early on in quarantine, I decided I'm going to watch all the Marvel movies in chronological order. So when it got to Endgame and we got to the end of that, I was crying. Yeah, I think that was the last movie I cried at. Did you watch like all of them, like The Incredible Hulk? All of them. Yes. The Incredible Hulk too. Oh wow. Okay. Good for you, Megan. My kids would be really. Really proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. They're big Marvel (laughs) Marvel movie buffs. 
All right, well, now to the, the meat and the heart of our conversation. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 88, which is a song of lament. Derek Kidner, uh, an Old Testament scholar, says there's no sadder prayer in the Psalms than Psalm 88. And the reason why we're doing this is because yesterday in staff devotion, each, each week one of our staff uh, leads the devotion, Erica chose this psalm, and uh, it became our podcast today. So, Erica, first question, why did you choose this psalm for staff devotion yesterday? Well, um, I think most of us choose uh, something that either we're learning or in our own lives or connected to our own lives. And uh, this week in the Bible reading plan, Psalm 88. Bible reading plan, yes. <laughs> Shout out. That's the, look, that's the answer you were looking for, wasn't it? And the Bible reading plan um, it was Psalm 88, which ties in really well to Job. And, um, you know, I've read this psalm before. I'm kind of drawn to the melancholy and just uh, intrigued by such a, a dark psalm and why it's here and what it could show us. And I wanted to hear other input, too. Thanks. Will you read the psalm to us? Just so as we uh, talk about it, we, we've heard it and processed it and thought through it. Sure. Um, psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? For my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Well, I know. Well, I know Lawrence is over there singing uh, The Sound of Silence from Simon O'Garfunkel, but uh, yeah, that's... Uh, wow. So, um, first question I have. This is called the Lament Psalm, Psalm or a Song of Lament. Um, so, the first question for you guys is: Is what is a lament? So, I briefly looked up what is lament before this, <laughs> <laughs> and I found a Desiring God article that goes through what lament is. And so, I thought I'd just read this short quote: Lament talks to God about pain. And it has a unique purpose, trust. It is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. Yeah, the idea of lament in Psalms is kind of a, a category, a genre of a type of psalm. And it was meant for the corporate body to 
to experience what they experience, for the corporate body to acknowledge the depth of human experience, but also fully for them to trust in God in the midst of it. It wasn't a, give me an answer to what we're experiencing. It was more of a, we are experiencing this. This is a human condition. This is human experience. But how do we express what we feel during it, process it, but ultimately as a body corporately trust that God is in control and it's still okay. What Everything we're dealing with is okay because God is in control. Yeah, and lament is really important. And I think for many of us as modern Americans, this isn't a normal part of practice. Maybe at a funeral uh, or during some extreme situations, but we, we tend not to to live our lives like ancient Hebrews did, or even even uh, many of the early Christians did as they process grief. Um, at the beginning, it says, the introduction of the psalm says it's for the choir director. It says a song of the, the from the descendants of Korah to be sung to the tune of suffering of affliction. And it's from this, this guy named Heman the Ezraite. We could say He-Man, right, Lawrence? No, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but many of the psalms start off by saying that they should be sung. So, th- so this one's unique because it's definitely an individual lament. Like he's I, 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 but it's meant to be sung by the whole community. So as we move into it, I just, just want us to, re- to, to think about that, that, it's, that even our individual grief can be and needs to be shared among the community. And this song was meant to be one of their songs. Any, any other thoughts on singing and, and psalms and, and maybe how we can live that out today? Well, I love the fact that it was meant to be sung as a corporate body. I feel like that's something we don't do. Now, let me ask that question. Why don't we? Why do you think as a corporate body, as churches in, in America, in the Western world, why do we not lament together? Why is lament a very individual thing? Yeah, I mean, I think because we're individualistic people, uh, we don't want to bother anybody with our problems. We don't want to burden people. I, I think those are two common reasons. One is maybe we're embarrassed or we we just don't live in a culture that would do that. I mean, those are just two things that pop in my head. I know personally, um, as when I got to college and I actually joined a Bible study where there are some other guys, I, I, I could go a little deeper. I began to do this without even knowing I was doing it. I, it wasn't just, in youth group, it's like you share a prayer request, two unspokens <laughs> and pray for my grandma because she's going to have surgery tomorrow or, or a kid on my baseball team hurt his ankle, you know. But then as, as you get deeper in the community, maybe we be, we're able to share a little more. But that, that's been my experience with, mm. with grieving. But I think for one thing, we don't necessarily think there's a problem a lot of the times. We're, we're comfort driven. We're like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So sometimes we think lament is, is a bad thing that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I used to approach the Psalms, especially these that are so raw and think of them as like personal journal entries, almost as if we found someone's hidden thoughts instead of thinking about someone actually organized this in the form of a Psalm, put a lot of effort and work into it, knowing that a group of people would be singing this together. And I think there is a, that suffering, grieving together creates intimacy, and there has to be a level of safety there. I know for me, the people I'm the very closest to are the people I can share my darkest and um, most troubling thoughts, but there has to be 
um, yeah, a level of intimacy there. People that I'm furthest apart for, I'm more likely to answer, oh, I'm fine. You know? So. Yeah, what, what it seems like, what I'm hearing is that it takes that intimacy of closeness in a church. And what happens is most churches, people aren't that close. Right, we're very individualistic culture, and kind of your personal relationship with God is not a group idea, and so maybe that's the reality: is that maybe we don't lament together because we're not that close together. And do we have common songs of lament? I think the only thing in our in modern America, the America that I grew up in, is Amazing Grace. I think Amazing Grace is our only lament song. It's sung at funerals. You you'll literally watch a TV show or a movie where. They never talk about God, nothing, and then all of a sudden there's a funeral and everybody knows the words to that song. Maybe Psalm 23, which is also in the Bible reading plan for this week. So those are definitely coordinated with Job. But What's yeah, interesting, so, both those songs are not really lament songs either. Like Amazing yeah. Grace isn't yeah. a lament song. It's a very victorious song, yeah. right? But I think it's all we got. <laughs> right. <And then> maybe <laughs> Taps or some, you know, like some, the, the bugle taps. the bugle tune or, <laughs> yeah. you know, just... just there's we don't have much in our culture anymore, so I, I think we we don't really know what to do. Maybe we'll sing a Simon and Garfunkel song or a U2 song. I remember one time in a U2 inter- interview, they were like, yeah, the song One is a sad song about a broken family, and, and there were people who sing that at a wedding. And, and uh, the Edge who wrote it, he's like, I didn't, I didn't really write that as a wedding song. I didn't... For, <laughs> I don't know. So that's that's how I that's how my mind processes as I think through singing and our present reality. Yeah, I was thinking of the song "Were You There When They Crucified My Lord" mm. might be one, and yeah. I think probably there's a lot of old like spiritual songs like from communities that suffered yes. together. So I think maybe those yeah, communities are yeah, better have, at good. grieving um, together. I also think we're really uncomfortable with long suffering. Like we want a prayer request and then we want you to have a praise a few weeks later. But I think the idea of like struggling with chronic illness or depression or some things that might not have a, a quick answer, we're, we're a little uncomfortable with that. We want it our way right away. Burger King, right? <laughs> I'm dating myself with that commercial. All right. <laughs> Where's the beef? All right. So next question, next thought. Are you shocked by this honesty in Psalm 88? And where else in Scripture do you see this kind of honest emotion toward God? Yeah, I think, I mean, it doesn't shock because Psalms is full of honest emotion, which I love. I think the difference in this pattern is it doesn't resolve itself the way we want it to, you know? But if you also look at the book of, um, if you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see this raw and honest, you know, you see um, Psalm 51 with David and his repentance, you know, so I love the raw honesty and the truthfulness of it. You know, to me, it just resonates fully. I've always found it interesting that that Israel literally means wrestle with God, that he named the people Israel, like the people who wrestle with God after Jacob literally wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And I, I don't know. So I think we're surprised by them because we do think that the Bible is kind of a TED talk with a real quick solution. You know, it's like you hear the problem and then God will do it. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, which I had on a poster on my wall as a kid with a baseball player, which has nothing to do with the original <laughs> passage. But I, so I think like these Psalms are real, but in your grief, you don't want, at a funeral, you don't want to walk up to somebody, hey man, 
you know, your mom just died. You can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens you. If, if we didn't have these, the Bible wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be who we are. So I'm glad they're there, even though I'm an American who falls into the trap where I don't want to dwell on the hard stuff for very long. I think maybe one of the first times I read this psalm was right after college. Maybe I was having a discussion with somebody about it. I don't quite remember, but I remember feeling a little bit uneasy about it. Um, but now, like when we did it in staff devotion, it was so comforting to read this psalm. I think because I now, versus you know, when I was like 22, I now have experienced grief and I have experienced crying out to God with no answer in return. And so even like recently, I have cried out to God in frustration like this psalm. You know, it's just like, it's so comforting to know that this is what, this is how we can talk to God. Um, And we're not, there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's important and good. Yeah, I love that this is a universal experience and a universal part of the Christian life. And and not every psalm of the 150 or Psalm 88, but it's it's part of of our experience. So I'm glad I'm glad it's included. <laughs> yeah. And it makes a richer experience. <clears throat> I spoke recently about a sermon in a sermon about how I used to be the the guy that would live by the motto of that theme song of everything is awesome. You know that Lego theme song was my theme song, and um, how lately that hasn't been my theme song. You know, but I think what's produced in my heart is something more authentic and something more um, relatable. I think it's produced maybe whereas when I was younger and a little more naive, I thought everything was awesome. Yeah. You know, I think what I can say now is it will be awesome. And I think that is a more profound truth and more relatability and more kind of a sustained, deeper faith to it. And um, I think people might say there's no hope in the psalm because it doesn't end with a kind of coming back to God's character resolution that we want. But I think there's hope even like in the beginning, you know, oh Lord, God of my salvation, day and night I cry out to you. Like the psalmist still knows where to turn. And you see that again in the morning, I cry out to you, you know. Yeah, and I think ultimately we know that this is fulfilled in Christ. The Psalms, you know, when Jesus comes, he says the Psalm, he quotes the Psalms in Isaiah the most because they're about him. I mean, the whole Old Testament is about him, but he goes to Deuteronomy, he goes to the Psalms and he goes to the prophets because they're about him. They bring us to him and they show us our need for God. So this kind of goes into our next question. So what's the line between crying out to God and just asking God why and, and grieving and then complaining, not being content and not or not trusting God? Because how do, how do we be biblically biblical lamenters versus non-content complainers? God, why don't I get this amount of money? Or why can't I get the next job? Or why is my life so hard, right? That kind of idea versus, you know, God, this is hard. I mean, I'm grieving the loss of a, of a loved one. You know, I think that's kind of the question, right? I think it all comes down to is where are you looking? Are you looking at yourself? Are you looking at yourself and saying, oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Or are you looking at God and be like, you're my source. Um, God, I'm dealing with this and I need your help to get through it. I think therein lies the difference between complaining versus lamenting. Yeah, and I think it's not based on 
the measure of the tragedy. Like, okay, like death, right. you can complain, but, you know, maybe the death of a dream, a hope that you can't, or, you know, or like a lost friendship or something. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think at the end, like, I think of the Garden of Gethsemane, like, if there's any other way, please, but if not, your will. I think finally settling and saying, you know, I, I don't understand, I don't like it, but I'll trust your character in the end, yeah. Yeah, I don't think this line is clear cut. I think it's pretty gray um, because you can be totally honest with God. God already knows how you feel anyway. Um, So it will only benefit you to invite God into that yourself. Um, And so you can ask the hard questions and God can bear them. Um, But I think, I don't know, these kind of questions, I always go back to motive. I think about Cain and Abel and their sacrifices. Um, Like Abel had a pure motive, Cain did not, and God knew. Um, So like, I don't know, what's your motive in lamenting? Is it just to complain? Is it genuinely asking questions of God? Because that's okay, and it's good. I think for me, the idea, if it, I guess I was processing it more in a corporate setting, like in like in a corporate expression. Because I think in, like individually, yes, there's there's this literally anything you say, you're already feeling it anyway. So God's with you on that. But I meant like in a in a corporate lamenting. When's it lamenting versus complaining? If I go to my friend all the time and complain about work every day, you know, am I lamenting or am I complaining? Am I, you know, so I think that there is this kind of idea of corporately how to figure out what that line is of lamenting and complaining. It's, it's difficult. It's not a clear-cut thing. There's a nuance to it. But I think you're right that the idea of motive, um, are you lamenting to, put, to hope to put your trust in God? Or are you complaining just to be like, ugh, have sympathy for me? Um, complain and be like, well, look how hard he has it, or whatever it may be. And I think, too, like lament is geared toward like you're lamenting over the brokenness of the world the sin and the the evil or you know the these kind of things not oh i didn't get what i wanted and i think complaining is is more going along with a little bit with what erica said later so it's hard to make the scale because you don't want to say oh i didn't become a baseball player i'm sad but if you were a college athlete and then you broke and you were going to get drafted and you broke your ankle I think that's okay to be sad, but that is that different than lamenting over injustices in the court system? You know, the so so I think where we blur the line sometimes, and we and I love what you said, Megan, is is it's okay to go to God with our own hearts and say like, God, I'm mad that I broke my ankle and now I can't play baseball ever again. That's okay. If we feel it, God feels it too. But then lament is this whole category of us looking at the situation around us, looking at who we are individually, and then corporately as the church, and saying, God, we're, we're crying out to you because the world is broken, whether I literally break my ankle or the, the systems, the structures are broken, and there's injustice, and, and things are happening that, that, we, that don't seem to line up with your character, God, and we want change. So, yeah, so for me, I, I don't know. I, 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 do, I agree with the panel. That it's, it's, it's tough to draw the line so we can come to God individually and just cry out, and then we can, and we can come to God. We need to come to God corporately. And we as the body, as your brothers and sisters, want to be with you and walk you through that. And it's never going to be clear. 
half the time. Most of the time, it's going to be us just wrestling with God, and there's going to be tension. Go back and listen to the podcast on tension a couple <laughs> weeks ago if you need to. So I read an article um, recently about people who experience great tragedies, and in the Western American world, they don't want to come back to church, statistically speaking. And specifically, as one widow in this article mentioned that it was too hard to go back and sit down in the pew and not have my husband next to me. You know, and I thought about that, and I thought about grief and trauma and tragedy, and how like a church could be a place where you remember, you know, you remember, and it brings back hard and hurtful memory—not hurtful, but um, painful memories. And I, I started thinking about it. Do you think part of the reason that it's that this is hard to come back to church? One, I think it's a lack of intimacy, but I also think it's because we don't acknowledge and remember well. You know, do you mean when I say that? Like, like I mean, I think sometimes pain, memories bring back pain, but if we remember well, it can also bring back joy. Right. I think, like, um, Mother's Day is the perfect example of it should be a time for celebration but also lament. You know, I think that that's been one of the most painful days of church for a lot of women in the church either, those who are... Um, unmarried and want to be married and have a family or they've lost a child um they have a bad they came from a dysfunctional family have a bad relationship with their own mom like all these reasons so like I think that's just one like extreme example but I think like yeah if you've got these great pains and hurts in your life and you feel like oh if I come to church it's just gonna be a bunch of happy happy people and yeah, I'm going to feel out of place with my pain and that. So how do we both lament and celebrate? Like if you look at the psalm as a, psalms as a whole, the Psalter, there's both, you know. But there is more lament than rejoicing <laughs> too, you know. Right, and can you do the same thing? Like can you yeah. can you both celebrate in the same mm-hmm. service, or the same day, same hour, right. and lament in the same hour? Is that is that kind of contradictory? Is it diminishing one or the other? What do you guys think? I think in a Christ-centered community, holding both joy and pain together is possible. And I don't know Amen. that it's I don't Sorry. know that it's possible Preach, without. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it's possible without it. Um, I think I have a really sweet group of of girlfriends who know me and love me and have seen me through a lot of things. We've seen each other through a lot of things, and we're all at different life stages. Um, I'm single. Everyone else is married. Some have kids, some don't. Um, And so, like, being able to hold these things with each other, to celebrate with each other, to grieve with each other has been the most, like, life-giving for me because um, in community, we we have the Holy Spirit. So we are, um, like, literally Jesus to each other because... Jesus is in us. And so I think that's one of the, the beauties of community is that we can lament and at the same time celebrate while in the brokenness of this earth. And going back to that tension question, um, I think, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say this is a line, but I think, and I think, the, I think we can go really far in our complaint as um, Jeremiah shows us, Habakkuk, the Psalms. But um, I think the line is when we start to say things that are untrue about God and our heart becomes hard. 
because I think of people I know who have unmet desires and you know it might be week after week this crying like I still want this it's hard but like there's still this acknowledgement that God is good you know I think when someone has crossed to the other side of, of hardness and bitterness is when I hear like I don't care I'm, I'm going my own way because God's not good to me at all yeah yeah, and the good news is we get three weeks of Job and a couple weeks of Ecclesiastes to help us ponder some of this to stuff. To help us ask more questions. Yeah, that help us ask more questions. And like this psalm, I mean, Job really doesn't end. It, God doesn't fully answer Job's questions. He just helps Job process the reality of, of the brokenness and, and, and gives, gives us as the uh, readers in hindsight a little bit of the pulls back and a little bit more of God's perspective and kind of what's going on in the bigger picture, but it, it never fully answers the question. In Psalm 88, I guess Erica's right. It doesn't answer the question at the end. It answers it in the first sentence that the Lord is our salvation. The Lord will save us. Like that's the answer that God will ultimately save us. And that's our hope. And I love what you said, Erica, that when our hearts turn bitter toward God for too long and we can't see his his goodness it we begin to to slowly drift away from from lament to just this this heart that's hard and and as if we see a friend struggling with this we can pray for them we don't want to be like job's friends and just pour you know salt on the wound on on the wound literally but at the same time we can be people who gently steer people back to christ it's amazing how many times that phraseology shows up in the new testament letters like steer them back it's literally the last sentence of, of james's is of james's letter is if you see someone drifting like steer them back and a lot of the reason our people in our generation right now drift is because they're mad at god because of what's going on in the world and what they're experiencing and what they feel so yeah i think i'm enjoying like processing with you guys that's the beauty of corporate lament as you're saying that because i'm like yeah on i think so so often on my own i would completely despair and turn to hopelessness but in community we can help each other and we're not all down at the same time mm-hmm. yeah that, that is the beauty of corporate lament is that it's almost the idea of bearing a burden you know you carry this emotional weight upon you but if 50 people 100 people are carrying it with you it becomes so much lighter mm-hmm. you know and there's also this idea i think there's something powerful in expression when you feel something and you express it you know i don't know um, this might make me sound weird, but like every once in a while, like, like having a good, just like emotional, like breakdown is a good healing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you call it, yeah. if you want to call it a cry or a scream or a. I call it a meltdown. Meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's centered. Like, it's yeah. not, that meltdown is you're, you're emotionally just releasing. Mm-hmm. And that's what corporate lament also lets you do is emotionally release with others. So you, you're, this burden is kind of being lifted off of you, as well as there are some people who are in a season of lament, and there are some people who are not, and they experience both, hand in hand, like we were talking about in worship services. I think they need to go coexist. My mom has this saying, I feel like it's a Korean saying. I don't know. If, I don't know if she made it up or combined others. I don't know. But something about if you if you laugh after you cry, 
your butt turns red. That's the literal <laughs> translation. That's the best thing I've heard in 2021. I promise that That's my, yes. <laughs> the merch. I, I, I kid you not. I, I don't know if it's like an actual thing now. Like, part of me wants to ask a bunch of Korean people, like, have you heard this before? But my mom might have, I don't know if she made that up. I don't know. But she used to say that in Korean because I used to like, after I'd cry, that she'd make me laugh. You know? I think it's beautiful to cry and then laugh. There's, uh, and still Magnolias, that's one of Dolly Parton's lines. Laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. <laughs> but it's so true. It feels so good to laugh hard See, after you've cried. Yeah, we got a Korean yeah. way and a and Southern Dolly. way and Dolly. And, yeah, come on. Yeah, I think too, I was just thinking about like grieving, corporate grieving within the community. What's different is that we remind each other of true promises, not promises that aren't actually promises in scripture. Like we can remind each other that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is trustworthy and patient, that he loves his people. Not that, you know, you'll get married one day or like you will have a baby one day. Like these aren't true promises. Uh, We aren't promised these things. So we don't want to hold to that and idolize that because it's only going to disappoint and cause more grief. And so in the body, we can remind each other of truth. Yeah, I had a seminary professor used to say, if it's not true for believers everywhere in the world, it can't be a definitive statement that we say as Christians. He said, if if a Christian who lives in the poverty in Calcutta, India, it can't be true for them. So I can't say, yeah, God's going to give you that job and that car because, well, it probably will happen because we live in America and I went to college and I have a degree. So I'll probably get have a pretty good life. But that person there will probably live day to day just because of their circumstances. So we can't make a universal truth if it doesn't if it's not universal for all our brothers and sisters everywhere. But Megan, I love what you said. You're you're talking about the truths that are true for brothers and sisters everywhere. That God will sustain this person. God will give them what they need. God will be with him or her as in the suffering and one day God will make it all right. That's our ultimate hope. It doesn't mean that we can't pray for a job or we need a car in America. Some people are like, well, I'll just sell my car. Well, then you can't go anywhere, especially if you don't live in like New York City or somewhere with a subway system. So so God will God knows that. He knows what we need. And I, I love studying Matthew. I think I saw those themes a lot. Jesus is kind of like, just trust me. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Shows up over and over again. Trust me, I'll give you what you need, but it's it's gonna be what what you need according to me and my standards and, and who I am as God, not what you think you need. So yeah, this is, this is good. So just want to shift into one kind of final thrust. And so what are some challenges to corporate grieving that we experience? And then maybe even looking, thinking about social media, does it help or hinder corporate grieving? Cause now you know all the pain of all your friends where before you might not have so more people can grieve and lament and but it could also hurt right? mm-hmm. so so yeah we're, we're in this experiment social media is about <laughs> 15 years old now you know so just some thoughts yeah I mean there's a lot of hindrances and barriers to good corporate grieving I think one is we're so polarized as a nation right now that some people grieve over different things you know like some people grieve that one person is president and other people are celebrating other people grieve another person's president, other people are celebrating. So that's a difficult thing to corporately grieve when people are so kind of split and divided. Um, and I, I blame the very hearts of man in that, but also social media plays a part in that. 
as a role, the more polarized you get in social media, the more clicks and more money. So that all plays a role into that. I think the other part of corporate grieving that's difficult is we're very, um, we always talked about individualistic culture that we're, we're very hard for people to share. It's really hard for people to like really share with a lot of people, specifically a large pop, people like the church, like our local church. But even though we're not a large church, even in our size church, it's hard for people to share the whole church. And so it is, it's, 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 there's a lot of barriers to good corporate grieving. Yeah, I think even with social media, you're saying knowing so much. I think even just with news 24-7 being you know, inundated, our, our minds and our souls weren't created to process this much grief and information. Um, so we can either you know, grow callous or become overwhelmed. So learning how to, to balance that, being informed about the world, and suffering in the world, but in a way that we can grieve. Um, And also not at the neglect of our church community. Like one thing we keep bringing up is one of the reasons it's hard to grieve is because we don't know each other well. You know, maybe, um, you know, praying through uh, depth of relationship in small groups so we can have like a community that can, can grieve and celebrate well together might be a part of that. I, um, I follow someone on Instagram. Her name's Lori Ferguson Wilbert. She's an author, um, but she talks about grief and lament a lot. And she recently posted that something I've been thinking about. Um, she was saying, if you are posting your open wounds on social media and then you get likes for your open wounds, it can create this like weird, like displaying your wounds for consumption mindset um, and then you're just perpetually in your wounds rather than healing Um, so I I think there's a lot there and I've been thinking about it a lot but I thought that was really wise yeah I'll go as far as to say if you if you're openly displaying your wounds for consumption in public social media but not displaying them to your community in the Mm -hmm. church body yeah that says a lot too you know and I also think this is just there's so many layers to this, but when it comes to like social media, like we're connected to the world like we've never been before, like we talked about. That's why I think it's so much more important for us to really invest in the local church body, because we need a place to say that grounds us. That's because I mean, when when you know when you have seven billion people in the world or six and a half billion, how many where, how many people are in the world? Seven. Seven billion people in the world, right? Yes, one death hurts. But in light of 7 billion, if you learn about every death, I mean, it just gets really hard. And you know about it all now. But I think that's why we need to be like, okay, let's go focus on our local community. Because that way grounds us from having to take on the troubles of the whole entire world. Yeah, I feel like I saw this done well a couple of times this year, actually over Zoom. So even though uh, Zoom can be um, exhausting, it can also be used for God's glory. I think um, particularly... um, after the you know tragic murders in Atlanta, when we got together a group of people to uh, to lament um, violence against Asian Americans and people sharing their stories vulnerably and praying for one another, that was a really really powerful time for me. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so incredible to see that over Zoom. That's how what started our prayer time was George Floyd. Started our whole prayer time on that Tuesday nights. That was another nights. time I was thinking yeah. about, yeah. And just to see how God has used lament in our community to bring about more prayer and to bring about more unity and closeness. 
One blessing too, um, as I feel like right now, we would say as a staff team, we're really unified. And I think part of that has been at various times we've opened up and, and shared our sorrows together too. And that's been really neat. Yeah, and a couple of thoughts I have as a pastor, as someone who just kind of processes just cultural stuff, I'm pretty active, you know, just kind of trying to pay attention to trends and in America, particularly on Twitter, but I don't tweet myself. I just read everyone else's. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, I have a defense. I, I never say anything stupid. Uh, but one, a couple thoughts I have. One is, is sometimes you want to take a break, but you feel like if you lament one thing and then you don't post about something else, are you, the people are going to judge you or whatever. And I, I feel like so almost down to like, oh, shoot, I posted on Facebook for that thing, mainly because I just randomly saw an article that day, but I didn't post for this other tragedy. Are people going to judge me? So that, that's where I feel a lot of the pressure is. And, and I know some Christian leaders feel like, oh, no, they got to literally, they have to, some Christian leaders now have to hire a person to run their social media just so they don't miss anything, so they don't get misconstrued and or misunderstood. And I don't know if that's the best solution moving forward. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Like I said, this is only a 15 year experiment. Like this Psalm was written 2,500 years ago. We've, we've been dealing with this stuff for a long time, but we've only had the capacity to share. Like I have high school friends that I haven't talked to in 20 years, 20 plus years who read my lament this morning or whatever. So, so we're in this experiment. So give people some grace with it. I, that's, that's one of my thoughts is we're all lamenting different things. Paul literally says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Being that we're so connected to so many people now, we're not just hanging out with the local body. It, we, we need to be thoughtful of that. And then the other thing is just COVID. Like we're all lamenting and grieving COVID. Uh, we're just all struggling with this. Like everyone's life has been turned upside down in some way or another. Everyone has seen something disrupted. And, and our church, we went one full year without being in the building. One full year. If I, you would have told me that three years ago, that this thing called a pandemic would happen and we would not meet in our building for one full year, people would be like, you're crazy. That'll never happen. But it did. So we have to trust God and, and grief and, and be with each other and support each other through all these different things. Yeah, one thought I was thinking with social media, just one more thought, is I think sometimes, too, our identity can be wrapped up in what we lament, where I think before it might have been like what band you like or what show. Now it's like, what are you posting about? And yeah, and there's just a lot of room there for... Um, for judgment and for maybe even misuse of lament. Um, so I think just being aware of that also. But uh, I think to you bring up the pandemic, that's really good. It's like appropriate for us to grieve that together, to grieve with hope. That's one thing is we don't, um, you know, grieve without hope, but to also acknowledge that. Um, one thing in the staff meeting discussion yesterday that Lawrence brought up is that social media, like, now makes us carry the weight of all of these things that we previously didn't have access to, which in some ways is good, like to learn about the different ways people are grieving, um, to be able to pray for that when you see it on social media. Um, 
but it reminded me like we are not meant to carry the weight of the world we literally can't like we're we are finite humans and we can't carry every single um lament and grieving and injustice in the whole world um but Jesus can and does and he came to the world he carried the weight of all our sin on his shoulders when he died on the cross um and he resurrected and he um went up to heaven and he gave us the Holy Spirit and so through him it brings us back to this psalm we can lament um which is really a a grace and a mercy that we have this gift of lament we can lament in hope because of the reality of Christ yeah. and his resurrection and the hope that we have. And that's the beautiful thing. That's what we do as a corporate body is we lament in hope. And that hope leads us to joy even when there's times of lament. So it leads us to the beautiful Dolly Parton quote of, la- of <laughs> laughing through Dolly. your tears. Oh, Dolly, in your wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So just just to wrap up, I, I do want to say this to, to you guys listening, that the grief could be over just natural consequences of the brokenness of the world, like a child gets cancer. Um, you know, just the world is broken and natural consequences. There's uh, tragedies, you know, weather tragedies, tornadoes, there's car crashes. Then there's grief because of sin, either individual sin or sin in the community. And we're lamenting all these different things so we got to be careful as we talk about them because sometimes you don't talk about one the same way you talk about the other and that's why job proverbs and ecclesiastes work together as a triangle to help us make sense of the world and i would argue that the new testament continues these same themes as how to live in a community Uh, all the letters address this every single new testament letter even to the shortest ones of jude and and third john address how to live in a community where we're all going through different things at different times. I love Romans 12. I think most people think Romans 12 is individual because it starts off, therefore, you know, be transformed with the renewing of your mind. But if you really go back and read it, it's about the community. Most people think John, read John, you know, 14 to 17, where Jesus is like, you know, where he keeps saying you, 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 but it really should be y'all, y'all, y'all. Like I said, God's just really putting that on my heart that all these things are about the body growing together and, and we've got to build each other up. So, that, so that's, I just want to say that because like Erica just mentioned, we've almost made what you lament over, we've become pharisaical or legalistic about what we lament over. Oh, you're not a good Christian because you only lament over these things and not over that things these things and I think if we really love each other if we're really the body together we can begin to trust each other and say hey something that I'm learning to lament over this I didn't grow up knowing even that that was an issue so help bring me to lament not be judge me because I'm not lamenting so can we be a little more patient with each other especially in the social media age where everything is so instant and so rapid and the encouragement to you is that be open to lament, be open to feel, connect with our church body. I'm telling you this right now, not because, you know, as a pastor, I'm like, oh, I want more people at church. I'm telling you because you need it. 
You know, we need it. We're created to need each other. We're created to do this group project called Christian Maturity Together. We're called to live this life called the Christian life together. So in your experiences of joy and lament, come do it together as a body. Do it corporately together. That's the way we're called to live it out. And so don't be afraid. It takes work. It takes vulnerability. Uh, it takes rawness to your emotion. It takes, honestly, it takes a willingness to even be crushed sometimes. But show grace, take the step, be a part of the community. All right, I'm going to end with the words of Jesus. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's rest in him. Let's be the gospel community that he's called us to be. And let's rejoice well, praise well, and lament well as his people. Thanks y'all for listening. Have a great week. Love you guys. Bye. See you later. See ya.